everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion and the world's deep needs connect. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to get to talk to Brian Taylor. Brian is an Asbury Seminary graduate, and he's also a church planner and lead pastor of Bethel Cincinnati Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Brian and his wife, Siobhan, planted this church in 2013, and Brian was also gracious enough to host us that day. So we took the podcast on the road and got to tour his church and see how God is using Brian and his team and his congregation to be agents of reconciliation in their community. So on today's show, we talk about church planting, calling, and how we can be agents of reconciliation in our world. Let's listen. So I want to talk to you about your church plant at Bethel Cincinnati yes. Church. Um, you and your team planted it in 2013. Yes. How did you guys get started? Yeah, well, um, it was it was a little bit of a runway before we actually launched here officially. At the time, I was living in Orlando, Florida. And, um, you know, it's funny, one of the questions people typically ask me um, when they hear about where we came from and how we got here, they'll ask the question, well, did you grow up in Cincinnati? No. Do you have family in Cincinnati? No. It's pretty much what they're asking, how in the world did you get here and why are you here? Right, you know? yeah. Um, and it's just, uh, over time, God just started putting this city um, on my heart and on my mind. I would meet people from Cincinnati. Um, I would just pay attention whenever anything Cincinnati would come up. And for a period of about a couple of years, on and off, I would pray for the city until I had what I really believe was a divine moment with uh, my senior pastor who said, you know, I've been praying. And he knew that was on my heart to one day plant a church. And he asked me about Cincinnati. And we lived in Orlando, Florida. It wasn't like we lived in Dayton, Ohio. Wow, you know, yeah. So um, we just sensed that God was doing something there. And the more I began to learn about the city, learn about the history, um, about the great opportunities here, also some of the challenges um, you know, historically when it comes to issues of race and some other things, really felt like what God was putting on our hearts to do was going to be a good fit for what this city needed and um, that this could be a great launching pad to reach cities beyond just Cincinnati as well. Mm-hmm. And so with that said, um, we had the support of our, our bigger, larger family that we're a part of, Every Nation Ministries. And um, when we started getting to the point of getting ready to plant this church, we had some videos and some ways of getting the word out. And and there were a few people who said, you know what, I want to be a part of that. So some of them were part of our church in Orlando, which our pastor there, Pastor Tim Johnson, shout out to him. Uh, they were gracious enough to encourage and bless any of the people that wanted to come with us. Um, they're crazy enough to leave <laughs> 75 degree weather in January to right. come be a part with, of our team. Lord bless them. And uh, then we had some people from Nashville, Tennessee, that came as well. Um, which is our North American headquarters for our Every Nation's family. Um, And they came, and uh, we had a a small but powerful team and started building some rapport with people here in the city. And um, I moved here in July with my family. We had a preview service, which is a service kind of like a soft launch type Mm -hmm. service, in August. And we had our official launch in September. So not sure that I would advise doing all those things that quickly, but that's how it worked out. And 
God helped us. He really has, yeah. and he has continued to help us ever since. Yeah, and it's going well. You just gave us a tour before we sat yeah. down to do this interview. So, yeah. But you weren't originally in this building, is that right? That's correct. Um, we were in a rec center, and after that we were in a cultural arts center. So we would have service with these really expensive paintings around on the wall that we'd make sure that nobody touched. And uh, so we did the whole setup, tear down, you wow. know, weekly deal. And um, and we found out that this ch- church building that was literally right across the street from where we were previously meeting, that they were going, um, you know, that the church was closing. You know, they had um, mm-hmm. the different reasons. The pastor had some health issues. The the congregation size was dwindling down a little bit. And so um, it was owned by the Nazarene Church. And um, through a series of conversations and um, just a lot of favor, you know, they basically said, listen, we have a building, you have a vision. Let's find a way to, to use this building to help advance the kingdom of God. And I really admire them, the Nazarene Church, for taking that stance as well. And, and so you know, we worked out a deal and we were able to help renovate the space and develop a long-term lease plan. And so now we've got a building, which um, I believe is in one of the most, um, not only ethnically, but I think religiously diverse communities in Cincinnati. Hmm. And so we have a couple of Unitarian churches across the street. We're right next to um, a seven-day Adventist just north of us. Um, a couple of doors down, we have the mosque. So... Um, you know, mm. and then we have mm. different types of denominations, but it's a very, um, very diverse um, religious environment here in yeah. this area. And we have the University of Cincinnati five minutes down the road. So that's a really, I thought this was a really important spot for us to be in yeah. as a church. Why did you pick this particular area of Cincinnati? I mean, did you know all of that coming in? No, I didn't. In fact, when I first moved here, not to have any background in the city, it was a little bit overwhelming because I just thought, where do you start? You know, Cincinnati right. has 52 neighborhoods, um, you know, all throughout the city. And, you know, we looked at several places throughout the city um, and we we came and just kind of found, you know, we want to be close to the campus because we do a lot with um, reaching students. Um, I was, my, my life was really impacted as a student athlete at Vanderbilt University. And, um, and I've had a chance to work in years as a college campus ministry minister. Um, before I was here, I did a lot of stuff at University of Central Florida. So by the time I got here, I knew that we were going to be a church that was intentional about reaching, um, the next generation, so to speak. And so, uh, we wanted to make it accessible for college students, but open, um, for all generations and all ages. And so that was a big factor in all of it. And then just kind of looking at um, spiritually where we felt like, you know what, this is a place where we think that we can really make an impact. Mm -hmm. And um, while there's a lot of places of worship in this area, we thought that what we brought to the table was unique to this area as well. Yeah, for sure. um, So it's um, it's been great challenges and great wins all at the same time. Yeah. Why Cincinnati? Because I don't think you, you quite said that when we were talking yeah. about Orlando. Yes. Like, why Cincinnati? You know, I've tried to answer that question beyond just the kind of an esoteric, I felt God calling me here, which um, is actually true. But as I look at the city, you know, 
I have a, a desire from here to to reach other places throughout the Midwest, and I felt like, you know, at one time Cincinnati was known as kind of like the gateway. I know, uh, I don't know if St. Louis would argue with that, but you know, <laughs> uh, it was seen as like this is the gateway to the West. You know, and when yes. you come through Cincinnati, the the reach to, you know, Lexington, Louisville, Columbus, um, Indianapolis, other major cities that I feel like are very strategic cities for kingdom advancement, I felt like this would be a great place to see a sending center, so to speak. And um, and so that's part of the, the vision. But then also looking at, man, this is, um, I feel like Cincinnati is one of those best kept secrets. It's not like a Chicago, you know, or New York City or LA where everybody kind of knows there. People are moving in and out. Right. Um, I feel like it's, um, but people here have a root. I, I call Cincinnati like the big little city. You know, it's a, it's a big city if you really look at the greater area. But there's so much connectedness within this city really, yeah. and uh, opportunity in this city as well. And so, um, and I just I just felt like, you know what? God just uniquely just positioned my heart and to, to really love the people here in this city. And, um, and so I'm still learning this city. There's parts of this of Cincinnati that I'm like, I didn't even know that part of town existed, oh. you know? So, and that's after living here for six years now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cause I mean, with 52 neighborhoods, it would take a while to get to know all the ins and outs and everything. Yes. Yeah. yes. How did you know you were called to even plant a church? Yeah. You know, at first I wasn't really sure that I was called to do it, Yeah. but I felt like I, I had a sense in my mind of the type of church it would be if I ever did. Interesting. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, if I ever planted a church, this is going to be a multi-ethnic, diverse type church. I was a part of a church in our Every Nation network or a family of churches that I was a part of right in Nashville, Tennessee. And you'd walk in, you wouldn't know, okay, today we're going to have a black preacher, a white preacher, an Asian preacher. Mm-hmm. We don't even know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there were flags of all nations on the wall. There was a lot of young people, but yet older. We had gray hair. We had young. And I'm like, man, this is the type of environment that I wanted. People were getting saved. The spirit of God was moving. So I had a picture in my mind of this is kind of church that if I was to lead it would look like heaven, so to speak. It would look like this. And, um, you know, and so over time, I, I was fortunate enough to be in situations and environments where I was able to, I guess, get some experience in ministry doing a lot of different things. Right, because you were a pastor before the church yes. planning. Yes. Yes, okay. So I was, um, not only did I, I was, so at one point, I was the associate pastor, the youth pastor, and the college campus pastor at the same time. Oh, and I also word. did like the hospitality and stuff. So I wore a lot of different hats. Kind of like a one-man church. You know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you know, my job was to take as much pressure off the senior pastor as possible. And and um, and I got a lot of opportunities. He started giving me more opportunities to preach on Sundays. Um, and we had a campus ministry at, at UCF that was like 150 students. So I had a chance to get my feet wet with leading a group of people that size. And, and I did ministry in Nashville too. Okay. Um, but just having a chance to do a lot of different things in um, my Orlando context, I think really started giving me the sense that I think I might be able to do this one day. I yeah. think I may, I may be called or wired to do this. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, you have people who kind of affirm different things like, yeah, we see it. We see it. We see it. And so by the time I got to the point of, yes, we're going to plant a church, we sense this is what God is calling us to do. 
one of the things our, our ministry has is something called the Assessment Center. And, uh, and I know a lot of denominations have their own versions of assessment centers. But I went to this assessment center, and um, they would give you a green, yellow, or red. And um, they would inspect the health of your marriage. They would look at um, your ability to preach and communicate, working together in teams, um, just a lot of different things. Your articulation of the gospel, your heart for evangelism. All these are things they were looking at. And... Um, Fortunately, we got a green, my wife and I, and, which was a confirmation of what we already yeah. sensed in our own hearts mm-hmm. that this is what God is calling us to do. Yeah. So uh, needless to say, um, here we are. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, we said yes. So when you planted Bethel Cincinnati Church, what was your goal in planting this church? Yeah, well, um, survival. No, <laughs> survival. Yeah, um, in the beginning, probably. Uh, yeah, you know, um, but... For me, it, there there was an excitement to have a chance to um, kind of go into a new area, a new territory, and um, see if I could take all the things that I've learned through my, from the past and apply it in a new context and see God do something great in this city, um, you know. But wouldn't we, you know, our vision was was pretty clear from the beginning, you know, reaching a city to touch the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a big vision, especially when you look and you have twenty people in a room. You're like, is that how many you started with? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe even less than that, if you, you know. But it's like, we're gonna reach the city. Okay, <laughs> can we get fifty people? You know, so yeah. there's. Um, but it was a sense that God was gonna call us to do something big here. We didn't want to just be a church where people are just here, you know, and gathering on Sunday. But we wanted to be a church where people were getting equipped and empowered to go and make a make a difference and make disciples and you know and 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 so discipleship was really at the core of what we wanted to do and the way that we articulate this I got this language from Steve Merle who wrote this book that was I recommend to anybody called Wiki Church um, but he talks about engaging the lost establishing them in the faith and in Christian community equipping the saints to do the work of ministry according to Ephesians four twelve and then empowering believers to go out and make a difference. And so that's really been our process of how we do everything. And so when we first came here, we wanted to be a place where uh, we reached the lost and where people were getting discipled, getting connected, and there was community. But it wasn't just community for the sake of community. It was people in community on mission. A lot of times people like to stress community, but they forget the mission. Right. Or they're all about the mission, but they don't realize that it's the community that sustains the mission. But we want to be a place where you had both at work. And so so from here, you know, we've got some other things going on in Lexington and other places that we want to see grow. But we want to be a place out of Cincinnati. Could God touch the world, literally, you know, Yeah. Um, whether it's us sending missionaries, whether it's us helping to support people that's already doing some things, or whether it's us um, starting churches in other cities, and while at the same time being socially responsible with where God has planted us here, what are the needs that are unique to Cincinnati? How can we help um, speak to that and, and minister to that as well? Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's, yeah. that's been part of our heart. And we wanted to do that while being diverse um, intentionally, um, and uh, and we wanted to also do that by um, being intentional about making disciples, teaching people how to follow after Jesus Christ, yeah. and training them to help other people to follow after Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. You talked about diversity. What do you mean by diversity? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think we can lack diversity in how we talk about diversity, right? Right. So, um, you know, when I think about diversity, um, I think one of the most basics, and I think even biblically speaking, you have ethnic diversity. And we want to be a church that is intentionally ethnically diverse. If you see our logo, you'll see a picture of a black hand and a white hand together in prayer. Mm -hmm. I love that. And um, that actually came from one of our churches in South Africa. I had a chance to visit them earlier um, last year. And and, uh, it came during the time of apartheid, you know, which was a time of, you know, a lot of um, challenging things that brought division amongst the races and um, or the ethnicities I like using in um, in South Africa and so that we applied that here we got the you know the okay to use that logo here in our context mm-hmm. and so um, so when we think about diversity um, very much so we're, we're thinking ethnically diverse um, first and foremost um, I think that I wanted this to be a church. You know, where you walk in, you're like, man, I can't tell. Is this a black church or a white church or is this a, is this a Latino church? What is this? Yeah, you know, yeah. I want it to be one of those places um, and and where that's reflected in what we do and how we lead. And, and so um, not just window dressing, but going down to the deep relationships and how we build. You know, so as I like to say, we don't just meet together. We got to eat together. You know, For so sure. how do we how do we build from the temple to the table mm-hmm. relationships? And then how do we go beyond just relationships, but how do we go on mission together in a very diverse manner? Right. You know, um, and so, um, so, and then there's other diverse, you know, we want to be economically diverse. I want this to be a place where, um, you know, we have people who maybe are, you know, struggling, whatever, financially. Cincinnati has a lot of challenges in poverty, um, especially child poverty. And, um, and we've had our share of people who have been struggling in different places as well. Um, but then also a place where someone who's multimillionaire can walk in and uh, feel at home. And, and both of them are treated like we were just waiting for them to come. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what we want. And then generationally diverse, which has taken us a little bit longer to get to. Mm, yeah. um, we actually hit the ethnic diversity before we hit the generational diversity. Okay. And, uh, and I think we're really, in the recent past, been growing in that area. But uh, listen, we love reaching the next generation. I love being intentional about our college campuses, high school students, youth, children. But you know what? We need, we need some grandmas, grandpas in For here. Sure. We need some gray hair because I think it takes multiple generations to reach any one generation well. So true. Yeah. So true. You said you reached your ethnic diversity goal before you reaching the generational goal. How mm-hmm. did you grow your ethnic diversity? You know, um, so initially, first of all, I think it's a couple of things. So one, I think it's preaching the vision from the beginning. Okay. Now, I know there are some churches that I know of that started off mono-ethnic and then they transitioned to become multi-ethnic or become diverse. And, uh, and many times they've done that with... Um, uh, great challenges to do that, but you know, God bless them. I mean, I think it's yeah. been, you know, and I've known of some churches that have done that really well. Um, now, from my research, you find that most churches that transition from mono ethnic to multi ethnic tend to be churches that are predominantly white that become multi ethnic, but churches that are predominantly Latino, Asian, or black rarely transition from there to a multi-ethnic, which is a whole nother, that's more of my research stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but also, um, 
we so we wanted to preach it from the beginning. We wanted yeah. to preach this is the vision of who we are. This is what we're believing for at the very onset of our church. And almost a, an unwillingness to settle for anything less than that. Um, but it wasn't just preaching it. There had to be some, some actions that backed that up. So I think as we were looking at our initial team and how we built, um, now I wish I could say I was smart enough to form the team that we have, but it's amazing how people were attracted to the vision from different ethnicities. Mm. So from the beginning, what we saw was we had a team. My associate pastor um, happens to be uh, a, a white man who's a little bit older than I am, um, and he's a great um, associate pastor. He just preached this past Sunday, lights out, did a great job. But we, you have you have the both of us who are, you know, you know, black and white, you know, mm-hmm. and and then we have. Um, you know, we have a diversity on our worship team and we have, you know, you, you probably caught some of the, the yeah. conversation that I was having before this meeting where we're talking about walking within tensions, learning how to live with tensions. Um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, really the big divide is between black and white. Mm-hmm. But if you get that divide well, then it's amazing how some of the other ethnicities start coming into to play. And, um, you know, we, we have... a pretty strong outreach to international students at UC as well. Yeah. And uh, so I've been excited. We have a lot of um, international dinners that we have at homes. And so we have people who, uh, we still have to figure out the language challenges, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But um, but so all of the say, preaching it, modeling it in our leadership and our core team from the beginning. Um, and at times where it felt like, okay, we might be leaning one way or the other in terms of stylistically or... Um, what's on stage, we, we actually think about that. It's almost second nature where we don't have to talk about it as much now, but very early early days we would think about, okay, who's on stage? If we see all of one ethnicity on stage, we need to consider that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, how do we make sure that there's multiple voices that people see? Um, I do think sometimes that makes you grow slower than some, you know, um, but I think we, we've kind of built that foundation of this is the expectation when people walk into this place now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so from there, now it's continuing to see it grow and see even other ethnicities and nationalities come. So, That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the discipleship that you mentioned and yes. um, training people who are already in your church to learn how to disciple other people mm-hmm. and to be on mission. What are some of the ways that y'all are doing that? Yes. So um, so I'll talk about kind of formal and informal ways. Okay. So Sounds in a great. formal basis, you know, one of the things we have, which I've been really excited about, we do something called Discipleship 201. And um, that's just that's 12 weeks that's, um, of Wednesday night classes. But these classes are set within a discipleship relationship. So everyone going through has a mentor, and they're in small groups within the class. And so we'll, and we, we teach on um, everything from, you know, Jesus' vision of what leadership looks like to understanding, you know, because there's a lot of faulty ideas of what leadership looks like in this world. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tends to correct that, you know. And uh, so we teach on that. We teach on how to share the gospel. Uh, we teach on um, different types of evangelism, you know, um, whether it's relational evangelism, event evangelism. You have, um, you know, just 
um, service evangelism, just different ways that you can evangelize. Yeah. And um, and then we, we teach people how to lead life groups, how to pray for someone, you know, and um, some of the basics we call, one of the things I like to say is that not everybody is called to be a doctor, but everybody can learn first aid. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, and that can save somebody's life, you know. Absolutely. And so this is, this is not seminary. It's not training you to be a theologian. Um, we do have, you know, how to read your Bible, you know, how to, how to prepare a Bible study, some basics that I think that anybody can, can learn, you know, and, and so that is, um, you know, that is kind of the first aid, so to speak, of uh, what we want to teach every single believer that, that desires to be trained. And so that's 12 weeks. And, um, uh, but on an informal basis, where a lot of the training and equipment happens is come, you know, it, it's, it's come, watch, do it with me, now do it. Oh, yeah. You know, um, the, the Jesus with his 12 disciples. And so um, what that looks like very practically, if I'm, you know, for one of the things that I've, I've had to learn and continue to grow in as a leader myself is that when I do ministry, don't do it alone now. Mm. I've got to make sure I'm bringing somebody with me. So if I'm going to um, do some ministry with the football team, I, I work a lot with the UC football team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, first few years, it's like me just kind of going out there doing it. It's like, no, I need to, someone needs to come with me so that it's not just me, but I'm training other people right. how to do this. Yeah. If I'm leading a life group, then, which is what we call our small group, you know, do I have somebody in this group with me that I'm teaching on how to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm praying for somebody up front, do I have another person that I'm teaching how to pray over somebody with me? So those are just some of the tools. If, you know, we have, um, you know, many of our students on ca- uh, our campus missionaries, you met, you know, a couple yes, of them. Yes. When they go on campus, now it's, it's great for them to start conversations with people. We have something that's called the God test, which is just starting a God conversation, you know, with, with people. And many times you have a lot of different responses. But bringing somebody with you to see, okay, this is what it's like. Oh, yeah, you, you, know, you just saw me get rejected by that student. And then, oh, you just saw what happens when you just step out in faith. And, right. you know, we led this person to Christ. This person said, I won't have anything to do with you. That person cussed us out. But um, <laughs> you know what? But this is all part right. of what we do. Right. You know? And, and so um, this is, these are ways that we try to. Um, get people involved with discipleship. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we try to dispel of, um, kind of referring back to that wiki church book I told you about right. before, is the myth of maturity. Okay. And what I mean by that is the idea that, you know, you mature, 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 now minister. Because I think reality is, is that much of your maturity comes as you learn to minister. For sure. You know, now I'm not saying you don't, I mean, you got to learn some things. We don't want to encourage right. people to just go and spout heresy everywhere and, you know, and just say, well, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. No, you got to learn some things, you know, but you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a physician. You can just learn CPR, right. you know, and uh, CPR can save somebody's mm-hmm. life. You know, now there are surgeons and there are doctors and we'll let them do their job too. So don't try to be more than what you are, but be faithful at doing the basics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One of the things when we talked before, and I know your church is doing a lot of work in this area too, mm-hmm. is the issue of racial reconciliation. Yeah. So, why did you guys pick that issue? Yeah. Um, for me, it's it's not just 
racial reconciliation as an issue. I just, I honestly believe that reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel message, you know, and um, so when I think about reconciliation, we think from the vertical to the horizontal, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and that's really looking at Ephesians 2, right? The first half of Ephesians 2 is talking about we were dead in your, you know, dead in your trespasses, you know, by nature, children of wrath, but God by his grace has saved you. And you hear about, you know, um, we're saved by grace through faith and Ephesians 2, 8. And then you get to the second half and it starts talking about the implications of that. It starts talking about the barrier that was separating us has now been torn down and we are one new humanity. And it starts speaking of horizontally how the Jew and Gentile has now been reconciled back together, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and so I look at it as when the horizontal has been reconciled, then the same thing that separates us from God, I really believe is the same thing that separates us from one another, and that's sin. You know, when Adam was hiding from, from, from God walking in the garden, you know, he was also covering himself from Eve as well. There was, there was, a, there was breaks horizontally. Right. So when I look at this... I look at it as foundational to the gospel message. And so it becomes a witness for a world. I mean, if there's anything that's true about America today in 2020 is that we are a nation that is divided, the divided states of America in many ways, right? True. And um, and so what a opportunity for the church, you know, in this season of our of time for us to be a picture of what it can be when there's okay this is what reconciliation looks like yeah what does it what does it look like yeah it it doesn't look like we always agree it doesn't mean that we vote the same it does not mean that um there's never tensions or frustrations it means that there's something bigger than just my own personal preference that keeps me tied to you Mm -hmm. it's not we're not just connected because i i kind of like your music and you like my music. We're not just connected because you vote conservative and I vote conservative or you vote liberal and I'm liberal. You know, there's something deeper than all of that that keeps us together. And that is our love for Jesus Christ, is that we were all sinners. We were all in need um, of reconciliation and Christ reconciled us to himself. And because of that, we were willing to walk together. And so if I can give you kind of tangible picture, you know, there was this thing called the 2016 elections. And uh, and uh, if if you remember, f- first of all, I've talked to several pastors who lead multi-ethnic churches. When I say several, actually, it's more than several. I've talked to a lot of pastors okay. who led multi-ethnic churches during the 2016 election, and almost to a t- watch. There'll be someone listening to the podcast of I know one exception, <laughs> almost um, without exception, almost without exception. Um, Two thousand. 2016 was the hardest time for leading a multi-ethnic church. I bet. Um, um, There are some very polarizing things and issues and even personalities that that came as a result. And so within our church, you know, social media didn't help because people who will say hello to you on Sunday will also, as soon as they get back to their computer... Or they don't even wait till they get to their computer. As soon as they get on their phone, we'll start letting you know what they really think. And so people were, you know, I, we saw times where people were like, how can I go to church with somebody who would vote like that? I just don't, I don't understand why, I don't understand why this person would do that. I don't, I don't even know if I could worship with them. Mm-hmm. Well, why is this person looking at 
you know, this person seems to be supporting Black Lives Matter. Are they trying to say they don't care about white lives? Are they, you know, you, you get this in a church. And, uh, you know, and so here's what reconciliation, because the test of reconciliation is not how does things work when there's no real touch. It's like, let's just avoid all hard issues so we can be reconciled. That's not real reconciliation. Reconciliation is when you have that barrier of, I don't understand why you did this, and when you said this, that offended me, and I'm hurt because you voted this way, but yet I'm not going to walk away at this point. Now we got to draw even closer. Help me understand you. Help me to understand why you voted this way, why you think this way, why you posted this on your social media. And they walk out of the meeting not agreeing, but understanding and having a greater appreciation for each other mm. as a brother and sister in Christ. That, to me, is what reconciliation looks like. Yeah. You know, and I think what we've settled for in our culture many times is a surface level, or not even a surface level, but a a cheapened version of reconciliation. It's we can get along as long as we don't have to deal with really hard issues. Or I get along with you as long as you're saying what I want to say. And But I'm like, that's not real reconciliation. You know, uh, in, in a marriage, if... If a couple is telling me, we've never argued before, you know, I had a couple tell me that in another state and another really? time, you know, when they were in their premarital, they were like, we've never gotten an argument before, you know, unfortunately, they're not married anymore, hmm. you know, and I look and I'm like, are you sure you never had a disagreement? Or did you just skirt around? Or did all? you just skirt around it, you know? And it's like, okay, you guys can be happily ever after, but at some point there's going to be an issue that comes up that you're going to have to address and deal with where there's two different people and two different ways of seeing it, and you're going to have to find a way to not just walk out at the first sign of disagreement. Mm -hmm. That's where a relationship is built at a deeper level. And that's the type of reconciliation, I believe, that the body of Christ can offer to the world that's different um, than what the world has to offer. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think when we talked before, when we were chatting for your voice of story, you said that um, reconciliation starts at a personal level, but then goes on to transform communities. What did you mean by that? And then how how do you live that out in your church as you train people? Yeah, well, I can speak about this in a couple of different ways. Um, a good friend of mine who's also a pastor who's actually finishing his D-Men uh, with Asbury Theological Seminary as well. But uh, Chris Johnson said this before, and, and, and I agree with it. He said, if you want to have a reconciled, uh, a multi-ethnic church, you got to live a multi-ethnic life. And, and what, what he was getting at is the idea that you have to, I can preach this all day long, but at the end of, my, end of the day, um, When's the last time I had someone who didn't look like me at my dinner table? Uh, which is not hard for me to answer. That's like the other day, you know. Um, <laughs> right. But but that's a that's a question I think as a leader you got to ask, mm -hmm. or as, as a as a follower of Jesus we have to ask. Um, I, I think it is personal because if this is not deep in your heart, if this is not a conviction, um, then there will come times where doing this really doesn't seem to. There's an easier way to do it. There's an easier way to build your church than trying to do it in a diverse way. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just easier to do it other ways. Uh, and if this is a grow your church fast scheme, or if this is hey, this is our unique kind of twist of how we like to do church. If it's just that, then it, it, 2020 elections are coming, 
and it's just, and it's not going to be worth it for you to go through it. It's got to be a conviction that you hold personally deep in your heart. And, uh, and I think, um, I think that's where it starts. And so as you are personally living a life that's reconciled to God and reconciled to those around you, then I think that transfers into everything else that you do. And so how it transforms community, it means that I can love you and serve you even if you don't like me or agree with me. I don't have to wait for you to agree with me before I can start loving you. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds a little bit like Jesus, right? Yeah, it sounds also kind of hard to actually do that. Yeah, it's, it's not hard. It's just impossible. <laughs> Unless you die to yourself, you know. Um, I mean, I think, man, it's what a wonderful opportunity to live out taking up your cross and dying to yourself. Uh, if the message of the cross is not presented with the message of multi-ethnic ministry and reconciliation, then I think you really only are going to touch the surface of what Jesus intended. Because I think the only way that you live reconciled with other people and that you become an agent of reconciliation is that you die to yourself mm. and you die to your cross. And, um, you know, one of the sayings around here that I like to say is, you know, Jesus isn't just telling us to do more. He's telling us to die more. Mm. And uh, yeah. if we're going to make an impact, then it's not just do more, but it's die to your preferences sometimes. Die to what you really feel like so that we can really live to the life that Jesus has called us to live. And so, so when I think about you know, um, transforming our communities. Sometimes there's things that we do collectively as the body of Christ. And then sometimes God gives people unique passions and, and things that they have a heart for that maybe they are not doing with everybody in the church, but they're doing it and they feel the support and the love and the backing of their family. So when we talk about our Discipleship 201 and we're equipping people to do the work of ministry, we understand that's going to be fleshed out in a lot of different contexts. But wherever you go, be a, be, a, be a reconciler, be a, be a reflection of the kingdom of God wherever mm-hmm. you go. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Have you seen reconciliation start in your congregation and then go out into the community around you? Yeah, you said, how have I or have I? Or how, yeah, how. Yeah. Yeah, how so, um, yeah so when I, when I look at our church and what we do in the community, I mean, so first of all, strategically, when we think about where we're serving as a congregation, you know, we looked in this Clifton area. Now, again, Cincinnati is big, so we, we may do things sometimes around the greater Cincinnati area, but we actually look and say, okay, what's right around us? Fortunately, we live in a diverse area. Mm-hmm. And like I said, not only religiously, but ethnically one of the, and culturally, one of the most diverse parts of the city. Yeah, and economically it's, too. Yeah, and yeah. economically diverse. So... Fortunately for us, we don't have to go super far from where we are to start having a very diverse impact. And so as a church, uh, we serve in different types of communities. And what I love, we had a story of um, this lady who has become such a big part of our community. And um, she happens to be a white lady. And I can remember she was saying, you know, we asked her to come tutor with her in this inner city school right down the street from us. And... She was a little bit nervous to do it at first. And she, t- she shared that with me, like, I don't know. I heard it's a little bit dangerous around here. She started doing it, fell in love with the kids, started developing a passion. And so she started getting involved in another inner city school down the street. And as she started serving, becoming a big part, she brought another um, um, lady who was a part of our church here to come and be a part of it with her. 
And, and so you have this black lady and this white lady mentoring young girls at this school. And, awesome. uh, and so to me, that's a win. That's a picture of what we value here going beyond just the impact and influence of what we do here. But it goes and impacts the community of what we do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's other examples like that yeah. as well. So that to me is kind of what it would look like. Yeah. But I'm sure it hasn't all been easy. I know that Cincinnati, <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but I know that Cincinnati itself has just had a lot of, we're talking about um, racial reconciliation, but reconcili- reconciliation in mm-hmm. general has had a lot of racial tension. What kind of struggles have, have you and your church faced with yeah. that too? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so first of all, I think some things I, I some things I'll, com- I'll I'll say this was a struggle. Other things I'd say it was just a dose of reality. Okay. And it was kind of like a, this is what you're facing. Okay. Uh, I, I remember there was a uh, a, a particular meeting. I'm, I'm trying to be as vague as possible. Not <laughs> okay. You all hear this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a particular meeting um, that was called by the this area that our church was in. Um, and they have these meetings different different times. And I can remember I was asking one of the people who was um, a board member of this meeting for the community to give me a little bit of history of that board meeting and some of those meetings surrounding. And, and uh, the person who said to me, said, uh, well, this meeting was intentionally started to um, keep black people from being... Uh, a part oh of my. the community. And uh, you know how you kind of wait for someone to kind of smirk and say, ah, but you know, I'm just joking. Uh, and the response was, um, and as you can look around, it seems like we've done a pretty good job. And uh, so it just so happened my wife and I happened to be the only people who are not white that were there. Oh my. And uh, and that was early on. That was a few years. I wasn't scarred by it. But it definitely was a, okay, this is what we're here. This This is... This is, this is what we're up against. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, and so I think there's a soberness of realizing that um, there's work to do. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely work to do. Um, yeah, but yeah. it makes you helps you, maybe not always in the easiest ways, realize even more the need for the reconciliation, oh, the yeah. horizontal and the vertical. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure if this person identified as a Christian or not. And, um, but to me, it wasn't even about that person. It was just about understanding if it wasn't owned, that, that viewpoint wasn't owned by that person. It at least was understood as a common viewpoint that was held by people in the area where our church was located. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I can remember, you know, times where certain things have gone on in the news because there was a time where it felt like every other week there was some racially charged yes. event going on. And, um, you know, it still happens, but it doesn't feel like it's happened with the same regularity that it was a couple of years ago. And I can remember, you know, um, was it a year ago? Two years? I can't even remember how long ago it was. Um, there was something that I just wanted to address from the stage and pray for. You know, and I figured, well, man, this is safe. I can... You know, nobody can disagree with praying in church, you know, like uh, that's a safe way to talk about the issue. Let's just all pray together. Um, But because of, I think, heightened sensitivities, um, what it did was it caused um, it caused a response. I remember getting an email. It was like several pages about 
what about this? And, and in that person's eyes, I was taking more of a liberal stance. And I'm like, first of all, politically, I'm, I'm not very liberal on certain issues, you know. Um, but, um, but I also don't want to identify and pigeonhole myself. And so just right. that was just an example of, you know, what about black on black crime? And what about this? And why? I'm like, okay. You know, and, and now fortunately, um, through several interactions with that person, this person's still a part of the community. Yeah. They're still growing and still loving Jesus. And, and I think we've grown from that as mm-hmm. well. Because um, you took the time to talk to each other yeah. and have that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but it was a concern, you know, just, you know, there's people who've never had a black pastor leading them. And, uh, and I do think, I will say this, you know, it's one thing to say, I enjoy listening to this pastor on a podcast and I'm willing to be in a context where I'm following after his leadership. Mm-hmm. That's a different type of thing. And, um, and I've, I've heard several comments, too many to name, about hurdles that people have had to overcome in being in an environment where a black man is the pastor mm-hmm. of a church, mm-hmm. people with different ethnicities. Yeah. You know, and so, um, and so, so I think, and I think with me, even being aware is, is, you know, being aware of some of the, the things that I know, um, you know, when I, when I stand in front of people, you know, I realize that for those who are new at the church, they're, they're seeing, okay, I've, I, I've sometimes like, I, you got to prove but I'm just in my mind. I'm like I'm here to minister the word. I'm to do right. what I do, right. and I'll let you all deal with the rest. Yeah. You know? And uh, so it's just it's just those type of things. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. How do you address political issues when they come? How do you, um, you know, sometimes people feel like you're not addressing things enough. Right. I've gotten to complain of, you know, forget about people's fragility <laughs> and how fragile they are. Forget it. Just speak the truth and don't don't even care about it. You know. I'm like that's easy to say when you aren't pastor in the church. You're you're just thinking about you, but I got I got to think about everybody right. to some degree. Yeah. But I don't want to do that and 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 jeopardize, you know, me being true to things that I feel like is important to address. Either. Right. Right. So, for those of us who are listening and want to kind of take a next step on our journey toward reconciliation, whatever that looks like, what are what are a couple of things that we can do to just do one thing that moves us in the right direction? Yeah. Um, well, um, first of all, I think I think there's a couple of books I think that's helpful. Um, you know, these are kind of like the classic books that a lot of people in this space have, have read. Um, you have United by Faith and The Divided by Faith. Um, and uh, Michael Emerson, um, geez, I forgot the guy who wrote it with him. Um, that's okay. We'll link yeah, it. We'll can, find you, it. You we'll link it in the show up. notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, those were very helpful in my early kind of reading on some of this. I think they've done a good job of kind of giving a little bit of a history. Um, okay. Because I think before you under, if you're going to talk about, you know, um, segregated churches, you've got to understand how we got here in the first place. Yes. And so before there were segregated churches, there were segregated pews in these churches. And, um, and, and so how do, we, how do we learn some of the history of, you know, read about Absalom Jones. You know, I think we got a chapel in, uh, on campus, yeah. you know, in the, the seminary. Um, 
Aplin Jones Chapel, um, you know, but learn about his story and this kind of gives us a little insight of what it was like and, you know, it's back in the 1800s. And so, so we, we got to understand a little bit of the history and I think those books could kind of give a little bit more context of what is the challenge, where are we today, um, before just commenting, you know. Right, right, because it's easy to just look at it from the perspective of 2020, right? Yes. You know, without knowing any of the history, any of the stories, any of the anything, any of the hurts that happened. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, because, and I know there's definitely more than just black-white. So I, in, in other contexts, you have to think about what that, what the divides, the deep divides are, mm-hmm. you know. I believe wherever the gospel is, wherever, wherever the gospel goes, you know, Jew, Gentile, black, white, whatever that divide looks like, I feel like the gospel speaks to that divide. Um, in our context, it just so happens that it's the black and white divide. But I feel like, you know, one of the first steps is understanding. Sometimes people have asked questions like, you know, why do we have to have black churches? And the same question people ask, why do we have black colleges? You know, why, what's the importance of historically black colleges and universities? Well, learn about a little bit of the history of why we have that in the first place so you can appreciate um, when we talk about diversity, um, a lot of times people don't consider what a lot of minorities have to give up to be a part of a multi-ethnic space. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand that, then it's hard to just talk about, well, we should all just kind of get along. But what, what you don't realize that you're doing is what's called ethnocentrism. And that's the idea where you don't, it's not saying, I think that our culture is better than yours. It's saying, I think our culture is normal. And your culture is foreign. And if my culture becomes the norm and your culture becomes the foreign, then you will always find yourself having to adjust to my normal right. in order to fit in. Hmm. And, um, and that's what happens in a lot of spaces where we talk about multi-ethnic, multicultural. It's one group or two or three groups having to conform to the normal of a dominant group. And uh, so you asked me about the first step. Educate yourself a little bit on it. Learn. I mean, there's plenty of other books as well that have been very helpful, but those would be kind of two okay. starting places. Um, you know, um, you know, uh, and then I would also say, um, you know, be okay putting yourself in environments where you have to learn about other cultures and other ethnicities to be around. If, if you are never in a place where you have had to be the minority in the space that you're in, I challenge you, you know, go to, I'm not saying leave your churches. I'm not saying leave whatever groups that you're a part of. I'm not saying that, but Mm -hmm. give yourself exposure to be a part of another environment where, you know what, this, this is, there are other ways to worship. There are other styles, there are other things. And, um, and at the very least learn to appreciate how multi colored, the kingdom of God sure. really is. And, um, you know, so those would be a couple of steps that I would take, you know. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about that I haven't asked before we wrap this up? No, you know what? I just, um, I realized that on one hand, um, there's a lot of work to do. Um, but I'm encouraged deeply because I feel like there are, um, I feel like there are, there's a growing number of people that are dissatisfied with status quo. Um, and as much as I love and value diversity in our church, 
I think there are. I, I, I don't. I don't want people who are in more mono ethnic environments to feel demonized or to feel like, you know, what we must be doing something wrong. Everything we've built is wrong. You know, sometimes there may be a, a certain role that God has called you and your church to have in the body of Christ. And so, if you are a all anything church or predominantly anything church, you know, praise God for the people that God has called you to pastor and build with in your church. But just remember that the body of Christ is bigger than just your tribe and mm, your people. For sure. And 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 give yourself opportunities to be exposed to the larger body of Christ, or else heaven's going to be a big shock. You know? <laughs> so. Um, so that's, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. Well, we have one question that we ask everyone as we wrap up the podcast. So Wonderful. it's called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. Okay. So what is one practice? It can be spiritual or something like binging and watching Netflix. Like <laughs> it can be anything. What is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? <sighs> one practice that is helping me thrive in my life. So I could give the basic, you know, I spend time with Jesus every month. I feel like that's already taken. So let me just give another one. Um, you know what? Exercising consistently. Yeah. Um, you know, um, like I was telling you a little bit earlier, I've got a date with an elliptical machine tonight. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it is it is waiting and, it, and I cannot stand it up. But um, I just enjoy yeah. working out and working out with, with other people, you know, bringing people into the to the midst of that and that's just I, I put on some good uh, worship music or some good Christian hip hop and uh, I just get it yeah. going and uh, it's time to get after it for a little bit and uh, it, it's a great opportunity to kind of take everything I've been doing in the course of the day <sighs> take a long exhale work it out and uh, feel good about yourself after so yeah yeah for sure my, my, yeah my thriving advice. Yeah, for sure. So Brian, thank you so much for Absolutely. our conversation today. I really appreciate you taking the time and I've learned so much as a part of it. So thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. I enjoyed this. And uh, I never told you, I don't think, thank you again for the uh, couple of years ago, the piece that you had a chance oh. to do. That was, uh, it was a joy to be a part of that. And I showed it to my mama. So, uh, so she loved it. So. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to reconnect. So thank you. All right. You take care. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Brian. Isn't he great? I just love today's conversation, and I hope you did as well. One of the things I've been thinking about since our conversation is how I can go on and be an agent of reconciliation. So I hope as you listen, you start thinking about the same things and that we can each take one step to be an agent of reconciliation where God has us right now. You can, of course, follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. So until next time, have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.